Welcome to the Alpha Human Podcast. With us today, we have Jack McNamara, a former pro athlete turned sports drink entrepreneur who founded the company Drink True, maker of the clean energy shot known as True Energy. He's had a number of startup accelerators invest in his company, and he's had appearances on the TV show Entrepreneur's Elevator Pitch, and has had articles written about his story in media outlets from Forbes and Fortune Magazine through to BuzzFeed. Now, Jack left his career as a professional hockey player to live and work out of his bedroom, tucked away in the back room of a gym where he builds his energy drink startup. He's not only the business brain and founder behind Drink True, he's also the face of the brand, promoting and starring in videos that get hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube, no doubt because of how damn entertaining they are. Jack, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. That was probably the, the best introduction I have ever received, so thank you. <laughs> Strong. Fantastic. Um, so, okay, just to kick off, I mean, to those who follow fitness influencers uh, and athletes and sports stars on Instagram, being the founder of an energy drink company certainly seems like an exciting lifestyle and a baller-level role to have. Because, I mean, if we look at the energy drink space, you got Rockstar, you got Monster, uh, and Bang is now crushing it. In fact, Rockstar and Monster have sold for billions of dollars. So by all accounts, this is a space for a young, fitness, sports-inspired, ambitious entrepreneur to kick ass and take names and become uh, a multimillionaire, even a billionaire. But, but... I want to read something you wrote that describes the ball-busting, grinding, and less-than-glamorous side of building a business, no matter the industry. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you here, Jack. The walls of my makeshift room rattle to the base of Metallica's Enter Sandman. The floor under my back rumbles from the impact of heavyweights hitting a concrete floor. With my head pounding and my eardrums aching, I slowly stand. My bloodshot eyes open to the sunlight peeking through my cardboard covered window. I peer through the crack and my nightmare is realized. It's 5 a.m. in the morning, I live in a gym, and there's a damn CrossFit class outside of my door. My day has begun. I drop my head and begin the walk of shame. I can feel the eyes of these morning warriors tracking me as I disappear into the hallway. My self-esteem drops with each step. I've slept on couches in Harlem with nothing but a fan to fend off the July heat. I've crashed on beanbags in Wall Street offices with nothing but the echoes of free market capitalism to keep me company at night. Hell, I even moved back in with my parents well after they turned my bedroom into an office. I thought I was finally immune to this never-ending state of anxiety. Nope, I can't help but feel defrauded. This is not the Hollywood, 
This is not the life Hollywood promises. This is nothing like all of those commencement speeches that told me to follow my passion and all it takes is ambition. Maybe it takes more than a black turtleneck, vegan diet, and a gigantic ego to think differently and change the world. So Jack, what does it take to change the world or at least build an energy drink startup? Wow, I, uh, I remember writing those words as if it was yesterday, but I wasn't sure what you were gonna throw at me. Well, thank <laughs> you for sharing that. <laughs> I, I will say this, it's, it isn't all the glamor that, that you kind of hope. And I, I was naive entering the entrepreneurship world. I thought I was gonna be a, a millionaire by the time I was 21 type of thing. And, okay. and that's just not the, the real reality. The fact of the matter is, probably nine out of 10 businesses fail. Uh, a lot of the businesses are super capital intensive. Um, a lot of them preach it's a lone wolf type of mentality when in reality you do need a lot of people to support you, whether it's friends, family, investors, advisors. So uh, I would say the path that True has taken is much different than anything that people normally conceive as startup world. Um, What's it take to be successful? I, I, I can't answer that just yet because we, we haven't sold like Rockstar. I'm not hanging out with models on the beach like Bang. And I'm certainly not sponsoring Formula One race car teams like Red Bull. So uh, we still have a ways to go. Um, but I, I will say that the reason we've been able to progress year after year is just by improving a little bit every day. And that means just checking off the right boxes and making sure that we're minimizing our errors and continuing to improve. Um, I know that's a little bit of a cliche response, but that's kind of how our mentality is. Whether it means sleeping in the gym or surfing on a couch, we kind of do what needs to be done in order to, to get to the next level. Um, you know, that's like, if you make it sound um, like the struggle it truly is, uh, but also, uh, very mundane, right? Like very mundane. I watch your videos um, and it seems like this is the most fun anyone could have, uh, you know, running a company when I watch your videos. Um, so, you know, it seems like there's, you know, there's, you know, two personalities for you. There's, you have, you know, the alter ego, uh, you know, you've got the, you know, the, 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 the fun loving um, energy drink guy that's going to, uh, you know, that's going to be a star. Uh, and then you've got this very level-headed uh, business attitude um, that, again, if, if that was the pitch, um, then, you know, no one would come into entrepreneurship, right? Like, so we're all sold a bill of goods. Like you said, you know, follow your passion, you know, the commencement speech. Everyone's like, you know, it's such an exciting lifestyle, but, you know, um, you've, you've obviously been toughing it out to, to make your dream work. And I guess, I, you know, knowing what it is, is this what you thought it would be? I mean, obviously you thought you'd be a millionaire, um, but like, you know, did you, you must have had, I mean, I know your background, so I know you, you, you know, I know you've probably anticipated the struggle and the business side of what has to be done, but why did you, let me back up, sorry. Why did you start an energy drink company? Like, um, 
and enter what is an incredibly crowded and competitive field of all the things you could have done. So why did you start an energy drink company? So I actually, I did take a little bit of a different path to, uh, through college, through sports, into entrepreneurship. Uh, it really all started, I was at Colgate University, okay. playing Division One college hockey there. And I noticed a lot of guys are drinking the Red Bulls, the five-hour energies. And, and I would ask, like, why are, why are you drinking that stuff yet you're on, like, a vegan paleo diet? Like, why would you fuel yourself with artificial sugars, sweeteners, uh, preservatives? And, and their blanket response was, it works. So then I, I decided, okay, I, I want to really go after business. I want to start a business. I didn't know what it was going to be just yet. And I also knew I wanted to play professional ice hockey. So I actually left the scholarship after two years to go play professionally in Europe. And when I'm in Denmark and Norway and Sweden, Slovakia, same problem existed. Every locker room, there was always like a Red Bull, uh, a five hour energy and the same reasoning like, Oh, it works. So that's when I decided, okay, if I'm going to start a business, let's start a business that combines my, my loves of entrepreneurship, of sports, of fitness, nutrition, biohacking, whatever you want to call it. And I arrived on an energy shot to start. So my real goal was to create a product that provided that functionality to athletes or someone that just considers themselves like an everyday cyclist to improve their game, improve their day without the regrets after, without the artificial crap that they know they're not supposed to be or should be consuming as athletes. And then we, we took it even a step further. We realized this isn't a problem with just athletes. It's a problem with everybody. Everyone wants to get more out of their day. So we decided, okay, let's create products that help improve everyone's day with natural ingredients. And I know it's kind of like a, a misnomer because a lot of people think that in order to improve yourself, you need to use these cutting edge ingredients. And, and maybe that's the case, but uh, at the end of the day, if you eat a natural, strong, balanced diet, you can perform pretty damn good. Well, I mean, I guess you would know, obviously having been an athlete um, and a, prof a professional athlete uh, at that. Um, so I, was, was it that you saw so did you, did you do this because you saw a gap in the market, meaning, you know, there's, there's no quote unquote clean energy drink, or did you do it, you know, irrespective of like your feelings on, you know, nutrition? Because I mean, look, professional athletes, I mean, you, you'll do, I mean, you'll, what, what was the, um, the survey that was done of Olympic athletes, right? If you, you know, if we were to give you a pill that would guarantee you win a gold medal, but will will give uh, has a fifty percent chance of killing you in the next five years, would you take that pill? And they're all like, absolutely, I'll take the pill, right? So it's like, pro athletes will do whatever it takes, take any any performance enhancer within, of course, the rules, and even they'll bend the rules if you know if they can figure out how not to get caught. Yet here you are a professional athlete. Um, so did you like have a sense of like, I'm clean, I'm straight edge, natural. And so that's why I'm going to do this versus a gap in the market was, or was it serendipity both? I, I would say it's a, it's a little bit of serendipity. Uh, obviously I wanted to start a business. So I wanted to do something in sports and nutrition. So selfishly, 
I did that. Uh, the other big thing was I did see a gap in the energy drink market. Um, and then finally, yes, I, I would consider myself like a, a clean athlete. I, I didn't really use any crazy supplements. Maybe it went as far as uh, whey protein or a multivitamin, but it never, I never really dove into the extreme, the extreme of supplementation. And once I started realizing that guys were willing to, to go that extra edge, I decided, okay, I'm going to start talking to dietitians. I'm going to start talking to athletes ranging from high school to Olympians. And I'm going to ask them, what do they actually want in their supplements? And then I did a cross analysis of the top selling brands to see what worked, what didn't, what had side effects, what didn't, and arrived at a formula that I truly believe made sense, that an athlete reading the label would think it makes sense, and then a dietitian that they bring it to would make sense. And then on top of it, something that you wouldn't get caught or kicked out of the league for using. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I really believe that a lot of the natural ingredients that are out there can provide the most benefit. Like there's no reason why a professional athlete should be using products with preservatives or artificial colors, because although those are artificial, they're not creating performance. They're actually just creating negative influence on your body with the exception of great taste. So those things can be avoided. So it's not so much about pulling back on functionality. It's really pulling back on the artificial ingredients that you don't need. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So if we back it up for a moment and you mentioned Colgate, right? So what were you studying at Colgate? Well, I was only there for a couple of years, so I was still an undecided major. To be, uh, to be transparent, I, I was hoping to do economics, but uh, economics has a – it turned me off a little bit. It, I didn't do that well in the classes. They weren't really business-oriented, and that was the closest thing I could take. So I ended up transferring to Boston College where I could almost hand-select courses that either had to do with entrepreneurship or starting a business. Okay, so you so you did take uh, classes in entrepreneurship, uh, in in business um, was and is that before you is that when you so you you go you leave Colgate to play uh, to play professional hockey, uh, and we'll get we'll get to that by the way, but then are you, are you saying you came back and then went to Boston College or was that before? Uh, I mean, I I have to step aside for a second. I, I made a promise to my to my parents that I would get my degree. They were like, you're not leaving Colgate. I was like, what if I get my degree? They said, okay, fine. So I went to Denmark and that was my first year professional. And I'd come back in the summers and take summer courses with all of the football players at BC because they, they end up staying pretty much 12 months of the year. So I was taking courses there and then I would take some online courses with Boston College while I was playing in Norway. So I'd wake up at like 2 a.m., take a class and then go back to sleep. So the whole story is, is a little crazy, but uh, I did end up getting my degree about uh, a semester late. All right, so here's what I wanna know. Um, did, do you need to have gone to university? Do you need to have taken any courses in entrepreneurship? Do you need to have taken any courses in business whatsoever, studied business, in order to do what you're doing? Uh, I'm going to piss off a lot of people by saying this, but I truly don't think you do. Uh, I have 
enjoyed both my experiences of Colgate University and Boston College and am very grateful for all the advisors and, and alumnus that have helped me along the way through those universities. Uh, but at the end of the day, I've learned just as much from just specific YouTube videos trying to find out, okay, how do I create this aspect of a website? How do I run a board meeting? How do I do X, Y, Z in terms of manufacturing a product? Like, it's kind of like a la carte in terms of what you want to learn via the internet. And I know it, it sounds naive and there's probably people listening that, that have very high levels of degrees, but for what I was doing, it, it wasn't something that someone could just teach you and say, well, this is how you start a beverage business. It really required a lot of just guess and check, find the answer, talk to the people that might have the correct answer. So I networked my ass off and that's how I learned the most. Um, but the greatest value I would say from, from the universities that I went to was the, the networks. And I was truly amazed at the amount of people that were willing to support me and asking for nothing in return, like meeting with CEOs, managing directors of some amazing companies that really had no business meeting with me, but would meet with me and talk to me for a coffee or a lunch and, and help me along. And then a lot of those guys ended up investing in the business three years later type of thing. So uh, I do believe you can learn everything on your own, whether it's in the Boston Public Library, online, or by meeting with people from the industry. But uh, there is something to be said about going to university because it's, uh, it is still an amazing experience. So, how, okay. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's my sense. Um, and it, it gives hope to a lot of go-getters out there and strivers that have a dream and maybe, you know, they don't have the money for a top school. Uh, and maybe they're not buying into the, you know, the story that they have to go to to college uh, uh, and in order to be able to be successful in business. So, you know, hearing, hearing you say that is pretty powerful. Um, so a, a question that I have for you is like, you know, you talk about, and I've heard you, by the way, mention this before um, on another, uh, you know, I've listened to a few podcasts with you. Um, and I've read a number of stories on you and you, you do talk about networking. Um, you've met, you, you've mentioned how powerful it is and, um, where did you, where did you learn how powerful networking was, um, such that it's, you know, gotten you to the place where, you know, you've, You've met with CEOs, you've met with managing directors, you've met with pretty important and powerful people. I mean, who are you to meet with these people, right? But yet you've, you've, you've somehow met with them and some of them turned into investors. So where did, how did you learn how to do that? So, I mean, the first thing I did, which, which adds a lot of credibility to universities and, and strong high schools is I, I reached out to that network specifically and said, Hey, uh, I'm an alumnus of this university or this school. I'd love to meet this person, this person, and this person. And um, I'm very grateful for, for them for doing this, but they, they actually made the intros. And I think the biggest problem with a lot of entrepreneurs or just people in business in general, they're afraid to, they're, they're afraid to ask. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is, Hey, I'm sorry, he just won't meet with you. Okay, that's not a big deal. And I've had a few of those, but 
as the business got larger and larger and, and the, the story kind of grew and snowballed, more and more people were willing to meet and, and hear this crazy story. Um, the other thing I learned is my brother, my older brother, who, who works at Cushman Wakefield and commercial real estate, yep. he really wanted to get into commercial real estate. Like that was his dream. And I remember like yesterday, he would go and meet with as many people as he possibly could. And he networked his ass off to get a job. And he ended up at a perfect place on a perfect team because he just met with as many people as possible. And the one thing he said is whenever you have a meeting with someone that you've really enjoyed, ask him for two to three more intros. And guess what? A lot of the times these guys who you actually click with and are, are pretty successful in their own rights, mm -hmm. guess what? They hang out with successful people. So the thing I've found is it, uh, I don't want to say social climbing, but quite frankly, to a degree it is you, you meet with one guy, he meets, he introduces you to his friends and then so on and so forth. And then fast forward three years and I, I've met with a, a lot of really interesting and important people. And it's, it's not because I, I want to meet with these, these heavy hitters. It's really cause I'm, I'm interested in how they got to where they are. And mm. those stories have added a lot of kind of passion and inspiration to me. And it just becomes like more of a genuine thing. I'd also say the, the power of a handwritten note, I will say this until I die, is, is not a dying art. It's something that should, should continue and people will read those. So uh, those are kind of my personal feedbacks on that. And uh, like I said, just, just keep networking and you'll be amazed at who you can meet, but it has to be genuine. It has to be genuine. So, so when, what does that mean it has to be genuine? A lot of people will go into a meeting and ask for something. Mm -hmm. And I mean like asking for a job, like, okay, I just met with uh, let's say I met with Joey Diamond, the CEO of JP Morgan. I say, Hey, it's great to meet you. Can I have a job? That's not how it works. Right. Uh, I think you really need to click with someone and I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm cheating the system by any means, but in any meeting that I ever have, I try to find, some similarities with that person. And it, it could be sports, it could be entrepreneurship, it could be a class we both took in college, it could be family, it could be the weather. But I think that the deeper you dive into those conversations, the more inclined you are to create a long lasting relationship with someone. And it's not about diving directly into business, unless that person really wants to dive directly into business. And, and by doing that, that's what I mean, it's genuine. You, you just have to, you have to find common ground that you actually enjoy talking about. And it'd probably be the same as talking to some random girl or guy at a bar. And uh, that's how I liken the, the networking too. Yeah, that's, uh, that's powerful. Um, I want to go, so I want to go back now to hockey uh, for a moment. Um, so tell us about your, your pro hockey career. So, so you, how do you end up, how did you end up in Germany and, and, and Denmark, I believe, as well, and these other countries. How, how, did, you, uh, how did you get there? Uh, well, I would say most people thought that decision was crazy as opposed to entering <laughs> the, the energy drink business because I, I was at a great school, uh, great friends, and I just really wanted to, to go play professional ice hockey, and I, I enjoyed that challenge. So uh, I ended up getting a tryout on a team in Denmark. So I, I essentially traded off a scholarship for a one week tryout in Denmark wow. and paid, paid my own way. So I get there. I actually don't make the team and I have a hockey bag and a bag of clothes. And here I am thinking like, 
okay, I thought I was bound for the NHL and I can't even make this, this, this team in Europe. Uh, so then I, I find a way through my dad who had actually played professional ice hockey before he was essentially my Jerry Maguire acting as my agent. And wow. he found me a three day tryout and the coach right off the bat was like, honestly, we don't really have any spots, but you're welcome to come. I didn't make that team either. So now I'm on, on the phone with my parents saying, Hey, uh, <laughs> this isn't looking good. Um, I can't go back to play college hockey cause I've burned my eligibility just by doing these tryouts. So finally, I, I get a, a last option, last ditch effort, uh, and just played my game. I didn't worry about anything other than just working hard and doing the right things, and I made the team. And I scored in the first game that I ever played professionally, and it was ironically against my brother's team who was playing professionally at the time. Oh, in so everything just happened to click. And the reason I tell this story is because it's happened in entrepreneurship over and over again, where I have literally hit the wall. I've hit a deadline. I, I feel like I'm losing my, my marbles and I feel like I'm having a heart attack and like my palms are sweating type of anxiety. Yet every time I'll just take a step back and realize every time I, I just put the cards down and work my butt off and dug deep, it always seems to work out. Maybe, maybe you don't sell for a billion dollars, but you live to fight another day. And I think that analogy works well in sports. I think it works well in entrepreneurship. I think it works well in acting. So whatever, whatever it is that that's the philosophy I hold true to. And this business almost crumbled probably as many times as my professional hockey career almost crumbled and it just worked out. So, uh, so what's, what's your opinion on, or your perspective on the on the biggest differences that you found between competitive athletes in Europe versus uh, versus the USA. I, I think the the biggest thing I realized, and I actually played junior hockey in Sweden, uh, so I go from playing high school hockey, thinking I'm the hardest working guy in the room, thinking I. Uh, I'm on my way to the NHL type of thing, but then you realize you're just comparing yourself to guys in one state or even one district or region or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. I get on a plane to Sweden and I arrive and kids are dedicating their lives to hockey by the time they're like 15 or 16 years old going to sports schools and they're waking up and going to, to the rink at 11 o'clock, going to take some classes, then going back at the rink and they're taking it so seriously. It's as if they're in the NHL. And when I noticed that I was like, people need to step back and realize that there's always someone going to be working harder than you. And you don't realize how many other countries, how many other States or regions are just so far beyond what you'd expect. And Sweden's a small country yet they produce probably 25% of the NHL players. And, and that's, that's astronomical. It's like unbelievable. So that's the biggest thing I realize is, Everyone who, who sits down and, and thinks they're the best, they're, they're really not. Um, and that holds true, again, for entrepreneurship. Like, I could think I have a cool little energy drink business in Massachusetts, but then you realize all the supplement businesses that are, that are out there across the world dealing with the same challenges I'm dealing with on a daily basis. So uh, I would say the styles of games are different, but it just opened my eyes to the competitive nature of sports in general. Right. So, so this is, uh, so, so this is interesting. You know, we're 
talking about competitive uh, sports, having a competitive nature. I want to delve more into that. Um, but before I do, when you came, so, so now you're, you're leaving, you're coming back to the States. Um, and what did you, so did you come back to the States and start Drink True or did you, did you get it? Did you take a job somewhere? Like what happens next for you when you leave Europe, come back home to the States? So I, I came back, finished my degree, and I was actually slated to go play hockey in Germany. And uh, the contract actually fell through at the deadline because I was trying to play the second half. I remember sitting there, I was going to be flying to Germany the next day, and the GM just called and was basically like, ah, it's not going to work out. So here I am, I've played hockey my entire life, thinking that one day I'll win the Stanley Cup type of thing. And then the snap of the fingers, it's over like that. And you're like, what the hell do I do now? And I know a lot of hockey players and a lot of athletes in general deal with this same issue that your parents drive you to the rink when you're five years old and then you're playing on weekends literally every single weekend until you're 25 years old. And now you have to deal with like this quarter life crisis. And uh, I applied to a bunch of jobs and I, I didn't get the ones I wanted. And from a kid playing professional ice hockey to getting a lot of no's, was a open eye. It was an eye opener for me. And, and that really sucked. And, uh, it kind of beat me down to the point where I was like, okay, I'll take whatever job. I just want to get to work. And it ended up being in a software sales company. I mean, I'd rather have been working for maybe Nike or Reebok or being in a marketing department. Right. Um, but instead I'm dialing for dials, $150 a day. Uh, tons of anxiety because I'm, I'm a hockey player who's good at stick handling and bench press. And now I'm trying to pitch virtual reality or virtual control software to CTOs and CIOs. And, uh, that's a, that's a tough undertaking with two weeks of, uh, rapid learning and sales. So, uh, I lasted two weeks, three and a half days said, screw it. I'm going to do what I want to do. Even if it, if it means other people are going to judge me for it, or if the odds are against me and, uh, I decided to launch True. And at that point, people, there were a lot of people from the industry that said, hey, you don't want to get in the world of, of food and beverage. And more specifically, you don't want to get in the world of energy drinks because you're competing against billion dollar players. And just like when I went and pr played professional ice hockey, I said, screw it and kind of have never looked back. And so, so then you start True. And by the way, we're, so at, at this point, um, where where are you where are you living where's where's this job right now i'm I'm working in boston like taking the 5 amt and coming back at like seven and i'm not coming back home to a nice beautiful apartment i'm coming back home to my parents place so it's uh it's definitely it was an eye-opener you go from living in your own apartment getting a car given to you by the team to living at home and, and taking the tea to to work to a job you hate and uh I still don't regret that experience for a second because it, it kind of helped make me who I am. Um, but yeah, it wasn't what I wanted to do. So, so is the, is the next move to start drink true? Is that the next move? Well, the next move was applied to about a hundred accelerators, incubators. I would, I would have been willing to move anywhere in the world to, to pursue this because I view each, time you go after something as an experience. And I didn't get into any, I got two interviews and 
one interview, the guy said, well, we have a conflict of interest. And I was like, okay, great. Well, thanks for having me on if you knew there was a conflict. <laughs> so I brought my, brought my hopes up and then shattered them. And then another guy was running a pilot accelerator in Harlem. And he said, uh, I don't know, do this, this, and this. And it was like, bring on another person on your team and, and do this homework. And, and I just said, all right, well, this is my only opportunity. I might as well knock this task off. And I did everything he asked and I, I emailed him and he immediately accepted me. He's like, you're the only person that actually took what I had to say and executed on it. And I'm not going to say I love your business or, or don't believe in you, but because you executed the task, you're in. And I, I moved to New York like a week later. Okay. So, so now you're in New York. Um, and by the way, are you, are you still in New York? No, now I'm in Boston. Okay. So, and, and where's the company based? Well, we are actually based in another building next to that gym. Right. <laughs> Hold on a second. And just to be clear, um, are you, is that, um, am I looking at the, the, the gym right now? Are you at, are you in the room at the gym? I am not at the gym. No, I actually, no, just, right. Not at the gym, but I still live at the gym. So it's. <laughs> all right. You still, so, all right. So I read how, okay. So you got, so, so now you've got that accelerator involved. And then I read how when you had an opportunity to get a second accelerator involved in the company, uh, FoodX, I believe, you, you said that you went into that, the meeting with them like super cocky, right? You went in there cocky and, and they accepted you 24 hours later. And, and so I'm wondering because, you know, do you, so, so, I mean, you come across as you, you have an interesting personality because you're, you're clearly a competitive individual um, you're very creative. Again, I watched the, you know, you promo great. Um, I, wa I watched the videos. Um, you're a hard-nosed entrepreneur that's willing to sacrifice everything. Um, but it seems like a lot of your, I mean, it's, it's weird. You're not putting on a persona. I mean, like I speak with a lot. I mean, you're, you, you don't seem to have an ego getting in the way. You seem to be very humble. And through that humble nature, Maybe, you know, you're, you're like, look, I don't give a fuck. Um, this is me. But have you always, I mean, have you always been that way? Have you always been a cocky, confident person? I, I actually would say I've, I've never really been cocky. Um, it was more when we walked into that FoodX meeting yeah. uh, and I was with the other guy that helped me get the company off the ground. I still have a great relationship with him, uh, Bobby Vakian. And we went in the meeting and we're like, hey, we've already done the accelerator thing. Like, do we really need this? And here we are, two young, naive entrepreneurs. We were like, we could probably raise like a million dollars tomorrow, which by the way, wasn't the case, but that was our mindset. Like we were, we were walking in thinking we just left like Silicon Valley when in reality we, we did a, a smaller accelerator and it was a great experience. But because of that, we went into this meeting and, and just said, hey, like it, we really like the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. We're not really sure if it's the right fit for us. Like kind of playing something along those lines. And it was my first foray into the realization that uh, there is certainly a fear of missing out. And if you can create that fear of missing out with anybody, uh, you're in a position of power in terms of negotiation. And uh, one of my, my friends growing up 
his, his dad had a really nice car in the driveway. And I said, Whoa, that thing's so nice. And, and he said, you want to know what the greatest form of negotiation is or the greatest tactic having a price and be willing to walk away from the table. And his dad walked into that dealership and said, I'll pay you this for it. And the guy said, no. And he started walking out and the guy said, you can have it. So yeah. ever since then, I've, I've kind of been trying to, to lean on that. And also I think people sell themselves too short. Like, if, if you go into a meeting and say, oh, I need this, first off, you never need anything. You can always find another route to success. And if you go in saying, like, I'm, I really want to take, take a second to think this over, that guy's going to want you more, that girl or whoever, the investor. So that's how I, I try to play it. And I do it better sometimes more than others, but uh, it's certainly a real tactic that works. So... Um... So back up a second. So forget, forget about, I understand why you were cocky in that scenario, but let's talk about the confidence part, right? Having, having the, you know, the level of confidence to, you know, network and go into meetings with CEOs and get those meetings, having the confidence to, you know, do everything you've done so far. Um, where did you, how did you develop that confidence? Have you always been a confident individual? I would say I've, I've always been confident. Yes, but it, it's not, it's as a result of, of like working hard. So I, I wouldn't say I was confident on the ice until I took those couple of summers to dedicate myself to, to my craft and, mm -hmm. and doing the extra workouts, doing the three a days and, and really pushing harder than I, I thought others were pushing. So I, I think confidence can be earned. I don't think you need to be born with confidence and I remember every summer going back into training camp in the fall that I would be very confident on the ice because I felt I deserved it. Now, when I went in that first meeting with, with the CEO or president of a company, I was scared shitless. Like here I am like realizing I'm out of my depths. What do you talk about? How do you, how do I have any connection with this guy? You know what I mean? He's probably making $10 million a year. I'm making like enough for lunch today type of thing. Uh, and right. It wasn't after the first meeting. It wasn't after the second meeting. Hell, it probably wasn't even after the 30th meeting. But everyone has to kind of learn this on their own because it's, it's not something you can just flick a switch and say, I'm confident now. But after those 30 meetings, I, I eventually realized he's just a human like me. He just, he's probably having this meeting to help me. Uh, hopefully he can have an interesting story or we can share some similarities. But um, the biggest realization I had is like, we're all, we're all in this together. We're, he's doing real estate. I'm doing beverages. This person's a teacher. This person's an investor. Uh, people and humans in general enjoy genuine conversation. And that's how I go into every meeting. I don't, I don't care if I'm meeting Mark Zuckerberg tomorrow. I, I'm sure I'll be nervous, but I'm going to treat that meeting the same as I treat every other meeting. So this is a great lesson um, for, for people to learn because um, you can imagine that anyone in that position until they've had those 30 meetings is going to be very nervous uh, inside, right? They'll be anxious. They won't know. I mean, what the hell am I going to talk about with this guy who's making 10, 50, hundred million, a, you know, a year, um, has a super successful company, whatever the case may be. Um, so like, what kind of advice would you give to people? What the hell do you talk about? Right. If you're just you're just a kid coming out of school, um, you have no real world experience. Uh, and here you are getting a meeting through your network. 
with a successful uh, business person who would be a fantastic connection for you to have, uh, you know, the rest of your life. What the hell do you say to someone like that? So I think I, I don't dive in and understand what other people are doing before their meetings, but I treat every meeting like, like a hockey game. So it's not like I just walk into the meeting and say, Hey, how are you? 99% mm-hmm. of the time I'll look at their LinkedIn. I'll look at their website. I'll read up what they've accomplished and how they've accomplished it. Uh, this podcast would be a perfect example. Like I listened to a podcast before, before we jumped on you, you read some things on me which creates just a beautiful conversation. The people that shoot themselves in the foot say, I want this job. I basically already got it. I got the meeting that I need to get. That's bullshit. Like the work starts when you get that meeting. Now, now you have to spend the next hour, two days, three days diving in to really understand that person and understand where they're coming from because it's like cheating on a test. Like I want the answers before I go into the meeting right. and I'll know what makes that person tick. So the goal of any meeting I walk into is to figure out, what is going to make this person like the true Jack and not be who I'm, I'm not authentic. Like I, I really do want to connect with people, but it requires effort. Yeah. So, so research is so, so important. Um, it's yeah. I, I, a huge believer in what you just said. Um, absolutely. You know, it, it, it it's like anything else. Um, if you're, if you're going to be, you know, a success, it's, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete and you're, you're going head to head in competition, you're watching, you know, you're watching the other teams, uh, game films, right? You're learning about what the other team's doing, how they do it, you know, who the person you're going to be opposing, um, is playing. So, you know, their weaknesses, you know, how to, how to defend or how to go after that. Um, you know, if you're good, if you're going in for a job, you, you absolutely want to research the person you're going to meet with. You, you want to be able to understand the company. What you've just said is, is incredibly important, but I don't know if anyone's really teaching that. I don't know if anyone is, you know, in university, uh, at least when I went, I, no one taught me anything like that. So it's, you know, it's great advice. It's, it's fantastic advice for people, uh, for, for young uh, professionals or for anyone that wants to advance in life uh, first to get the meetings and then what to do before you have the meeting. So um, that's, that's really cool. And, you know, I, I watched, so you know how you said um, you took that sales role uh, and, you know, you didn't, it, you know, it just really wasn't you. Um, it really wasn't what you wanted to do. You didn't feel comfortable with it, but I'll tell you right now, Jack, I watched you on that elevator pitch show and, and I, you know, although they didn't invest, right, they loved your presentation. They loved your personality. I think uh, uh, David Meltzer said to Danica Patrick that she should bring you on to run sales for her wine company. So, so I mean, clearly, clearly you're a great salesman. I mean, it's fucking like clear. So you you know maybe you're 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 selling yourself short about how your skills on the sales front, but how important is being great at sales for an entrepreneur? How important is it to have that skill? Well, I mean, sales carries so many meetings. So uh, 
Jordan Belfort, like sell me this pen. Okay, that's an example of, of sales. But another example of sales is fundraising. Like I have to go in and, and pitch an investor why they should give me their hard earned money so that I can then go pursue my dreams. Or I can go, hey, you're the buyer. I'm going to try and sell you these energy drinks because now you're going to make more money in your retail locations by offering more margin and, and profitability and traffic into your stores. So sales is something that I don't think only entrepreneurs need. I think it's pretty much anyone in this world who wants to be successful better know how to, to sell an item or at least sell themselves in an interview. And if you can take that knowledge and apply it to everything, then, then you're golden. So the same thing I said about the interview process, it's understanding the product inside and out. And when I went into that, that sales software sales job, they gave us two weeks to understand the product. How long does it truly take you to understand a product? I would go in and, and have a, a CTO saying, okay, I'll do a demo. Let me ask you a few questions first. And once he started asking me those questions, I immediately started feeling uncomfortable and started just effing up left and right. And he was like, okay, let me look into the software before doing the demo, lost sale. And it was then that I realized that sure, it'd be great to sell something that you're passionate about. You could really get exciting, excited about on the phone, but more than anything, it's understanding the ins and outs of your product as if you're the founder. So if you gave me a job tomorrow selling widgets, I would probably say I'm not going to make a dial for the first two to four weeks. I need to understand this like it's the back of my hand and I want to talk to you about it first so that you can prepare me for the questions that might be asked. And then eventually you're going to, you're going to be able to talk to anyone and anybody about this, this software, whether or not you're the web designer or you're the person who's just hucking the product at the end of the day. And that's something that I think, most salespeople need to do. They think, okay, I'm just going to sell this like every other product. No. And the reason why so many salespeople end up in the same industries is because they're professionals at selling a certain item. But someone who's hucking food and beverages probably isn't going to do well in software sales and vice versa. They become so good and adept at selling certain things that they're comfortable with it. It's once you become comfortable with it, you become a good salesman. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, this is what I, that's what I do for a living, right? So, you know, I lead sales teams, but, I, and I've been in sales for, you know, for 25 years. And even at the very beginning, I, you know, I would, because I remember someone saying to me, um, you know, but, you know, what you're selling is, you know, it's talking about all the negatives of it. And I'm like, I'm like, don't, I'm like, I don't want to hear that. And I've, this is something I've got to believe in. So don't, I don't want to hear your, your negativity on this. Here's, here's, let me tell you all the positive things about this. And um, I knew even back then that I had, to, I had to believe in what I was selling. And um, if, you know, and, ha and how does someone come upon belief? Well, right, you, you learn about, as you said, you hit it nail on the head. It's pro product knowledge. Like, look, you learn, if you want to believe in something, like, how do you magically believe in something? You, you, the, way you, the way you believe in something is first, you learn about it. The more you learn about something, the more you look into it, the more you can find the things that give you that, that confidence and that interest and that, and that passion in what you're doing. And all of a sudden, you find yourself a believer in what it is you have that you're representing. But without that, as you said, you're just a huckster. 
You're just, you know, you're just the guy who's been hired to do the commercial, right? So I, again, you, you, so for someone who's gone from sports right into this, man, I don't, you've picked up like an incredible number of, of lessons um, that most people just never seem to learn, which is, which is very powerful. Um, I understand that you mentioned your dad was a professional uh, was a professional hockey player. I think you said he was pro hockey player. I understand both of your parents were athletes. Uh, is that right? So my, my dad played one step below the NHL in the American Hockey League. And then my mom was actually athlete of the decade at BC. So yeah, we, we grew up across the streets from BC and eat, sleep, breathe sports. And I have three brothers who we all played a, a level of professional hockey and we all played division one college hockey. So, okay. So how much influence did having parents who are both uh, high-level athletes, how, how much influence did that have on, on you becoming an athlete, your brothers, your, 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 your siblings becoming athletes? I mean, was, how, how much influence did that have, number one, on that piece? I would say a, a phenomenal amount. I, I think... Sure, genetics plays a role, but it's really you're a product of your surroundings to to a large degree. And uh, I loved kind of our atmosphere growing up, which was super competitive, super athletic, always at the rinks, always picking up a ball or doing something athletic. And yeah, that's that's probably a result of of my parents. Uh, they gave us the option, but it was something that we all loved, so we lived it. So. You know, that's interesting because most, or maybe not most, but a large majority of kids want to re rebel, right, against, against their parents. So whatever their parents are doing, like, I'm going to do the, the complete opposite. Of, so you, you must have um, grown up in, you know, a household that was really, like, close-knit and, you know, guys must have been really, really, like, close um, is that the case? Are you, is your entire family like super close? Yeah, it's, it goes beyond, uh, just our immediate family. So I'm extremely close with my brothers and my parents and we're, we all live in, in, in and around Boston. And then my mom's whole extended family for the most part live within a five mile, 10 mile radius. So we are the kind of family that has the cookouts and, and sticks together and blood's thicker than water type of thing. And uh, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Like I even tell the people that work with me now, I, family comes first. I, I don't really care. And that's why, uh, that's why I think the business does come second in, in that respect. Very interesting. Again, another perspective that you, you know, you just don't hear. I mean, you'll, you know, you'll hear that, you know, everything, you know, in the beginning, um, like I won't say the guy's name, but there's like a real popular right now, there's a very popular um, motivational speaker, you know, who's, you know, one of, one of the big things, you know, you're going to have, if you want to be successful, if you want to be a, a billionaire, then you have no friends, you have no family. So this guy's like real hardcore. Um, and, you know, honestly, I've, you know, I, I've heard how so many entrepreneurs, you know, that wolf, that lone wolf, you know, mentality that everything else comes second, everything 
family, friends, you know, loved ones, you know, and relationships get wrecked, but right. Everything else comes, comes second. So again, you know, you have this very, you know, you're, you're a very different kind of entrepreneur. It's, you know, um, how, how does that, you know, I imagine that that's something that the people who work with you um, at Dream True, I, I would imagine that's something that makes them feel like really good about working with you or for you. Is that, is that the case? Uh, so to take a step back, I, I do believe family comes first, but I'm also a kind of a, a believer in Elon Musk's philosophy in terms of you can do three things extraordinarily well, um, as opposed to just choosing one. So it can be friends, it can be family, it can be entrepreneurship, it can be sports, it can be fitness. And I, I do think very intently about what those three things would be in my life. Right. And I'd put family first, I'd, I'd put business second, I'd put fitness third. Like those are, those are the three things that I hold true to. It's probably the reason I don't have a girlfriend right now. So it's, it's <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's how I bucket things. And okay. I also, in the, in the interview process, we, we have a very small team, but uh, the guys that work with me, I, I said, hey, I want you to put your family first, but I want true to be a close second. You know what I mean? I, so they, they understand that and they all buy into that. And I, I am, I wouldn't say I'm difficult to, I wouldn't say I'm easy to work with. I demand a lot. Like we work six days a week and that's not a ask. It's a requirement. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it can be difficult at times, but I think every, the reason everyone is so aligned is because we all believe in the vision and it's the same for sports. If everyone believes that, you can win a Super Bowl or a Stanley Cup at the end of the day. People are willing to make sacrifices. If they don't believe that, then you're not going to win. So parents, very competitive, um, family competitive. Um, you become a competitive athlete. Has, has all of that competitive spirit transferred over to business? Because, again, you come across like you're – I'll tell you what, you're a dangerous guy, man, because like you really are because under, you know, like people, I could see people being very attracted to wanting to work with you. Um, and, um, you know, you, you have a certain type of, um, again, humble like ability, but you're probably like a vicious vicious competitor but people don't see it coming is that an advantage of do you see that as an advantage are you or am i just talking out of my ass are are you as competitive in business like as you are in in, in sports like do you see the other companies like monster rockstar red bull do you see these guys as your competition to the degree that right? You've got to conquer them. You've got to beat them. You've got to rise. I mean, what is your view on that? So if I were to talk to an investor, I, I would say, I don't think that's within the scope of our projections right now in terms of competing with billion dollar brands. But right. in my heart and the way I build the business is hell yeah. Uh, there can, there can be only one King. And <laughs> so for, for me, I, I would say, yes, the competitive nature is something that at this point is kind of inherent in me, whether I am 
making cheeseburgers or selling pencils. It doesn't matter. I want to be the best at it. And uh, I think it's what has kept the business alive to a degree. It's what kind of keeps me fighting to a degree. And I think the one downside to it is it's, it may be hard to be managed by me because I demand not only effort, but execution because in hockey, working hard's great, but you're only as good as your last game and you're only as good as the amount you produce. So if you're a penalty killer, don't let up any goals. If you're on the first or second line, you better score some goals. So if you join Team True as the marketing person, I need to see the return on investment increase exponentially. If it decreases, see you later. If you're hired for sales, if you're not doing sales, see you later. But if you are doing well, yeah, I would say I'm a great teammate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, excellent, excellent. Uh, So what lessons did you learn from being an athlete that have transferred over to, to your business, to, to building an energy drink company? The biggest thing is not being a professional overnight. Um, so I don't know if you've heard this story before or not, but uh, it's probably my favorite story in terms of entering a new industry. Uh, and my dad, when he was growing up and he dropped out of playing pro sports, he entered the world of insurance and he met with some guy and and he was really frustrated. And he talked to his dad about this and, and said, why, why is it so difficult to, to like really dominate or grow within this world? And he, my dad, my grandfather said to him, uh, how long did it take you to become a professional ice hockey player? And my dad said, well, it took me 23, 24 years. And he said, how can you expect to be the best insurance broker in the world after 12 months of effort? And once I heard that story, sure, I applied it to hockey when I was playing. But then I realized when I actually got into the real world, how can I expect to be the greatest salesman of energy drinks or create the greatest beverage brand in the world when I have no experience? And I immediately flip-flopped my my persona and and how I go about building the business by just saying, Hey, as long as we're improving a little bit every day, we will be successful at the end of the day. Will we do it in one year? Probably not. Will we do it in five years? Maybe not. Will we do it in 10 years? I have a a lot of confidence that it's eventually going to come together. And if I look back at the last five years of building this business, I'll say, damn, I wish we're at a hundred million dollars in sales. But if I look at the numbers, Increase, 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 increase. So are we in the NHL yet? No, but I think that we will get there by continuing to do the right things on a daily basis. So that's, you know, that's interesting. So it wasn't, so it sounds like that, that lesson um, was, you know, again, something that, um, you know, came from your family, right? Your, your parents. so you've, you've had a, I mean, you've been very lucky um, to have such a, such a strong, you know, family and, you know, some great mentors uh, with, with your, your, your dad and I'm, I'm assuming your mom as well. Have, what other men, have you had any other mentors um, in your life that have helped you get to this place? 
So when I was younger, I remember I, I wanted to create this persona where it's like me, me against the world. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. uh, because I, I thought it would be like a, a cool thing to inspire me to get going. And my, and my brothers and my parents kind of got mad at me. I was like creating this list of like the naysayers and uh, they were like, why, why are you writing this list? You just have nothing but supportive people around you. And that's when I, I sat down, I was probably like 16 years old at the time. And I go, yeah, I have three brothers who push me to become better. I have two parents who come from slightly different backgrounds, but still were, were successful in their sports and have provided nothing but value. Like my mom is basically our accountant right now. My brother is our insurance agent. Uh, all the mentors and advisors I have are either friends or people that I grabbed the coffee with that have helped me ever since. So, um, this lone wolf mentality that a lot of entrepreneurs have, I think great. If, if that's actually the case and they, they truly bootstrap their own business, never asked for any money and turned it into a billion dollar business. So be it. But I don't think that's ever really the case. Like anyone who creates this lone wolf persona, there was someone that invested in their business. There was some mentor that helped them out. And that's why I consider what we're doing almost a family business, a friends and family business. I don't even care if I end up with 5% of the business at the end of the day, as long as it's a success and everyone wins. So I'm building this as if I'm the GM of a sports team. That's how I view it. And uh, we lose investors because of it because they think we have a crazy cap table. But I'm like, look at how many brand ambassadors we have on our side that are paying to be brand ambassadors versus us paying them. Mm. And uh, so, yes, I, we have, I have a tons of mentors and they come all shapes and sizes from real estate, just teaching me how to build a successful business. Uh, other food and beverage founders that um, really get nothing in return for helping me. And uh, a perfect example was today I was on, on a call with the COO of IQ Bar. So shout out to IQ Bar and just kind of like venting with him, explaining my problems. He was kind of sharing different solutions and we ended up talking for an hour and he helped me with our shipping to potentially save us $10,000. Wow. And that's just one guy helping out another guy who's in the same sort of struggle. Um, so team win all around one team, one dream type of thing. And uh, hopefully that answers the question. I know it's not anything that's too groundbreaking, but no, if anything, I'm, I'm to totally grateful of all the support I've had. Um, so have you ever contemplated uh, giving up or, or, or quitting? Uh, no. And there has been some very dire moments. Um, one very recently. Uh, so when we were actually out raising our, our initial like seed round in 2018, it was December, 2018. Everyone thought we were going into another recession and I'm trying to raise money from people I've been talking to for, with three for three years and we eventually brought together a round of like 30 people with checks ranging from $5,000 to $100,000 and it ended up just being a bunch of people that gave me a check and said I'm not betting on the business I'm betting on you Jack and uh, that was a real shot in the arm because that just put more pressure on me but I was very grateful to, to take that on and it was because it wasn't that the business was going to fail anymore. It's either Jack fails or he doesn't. So it's now my decision whether to quit or not. And that's, that's not a possibility because I do not want to let down friends and family who have invested because not only will that make for an awkward Thanksgiving dinner, but 
I, uh, I want to look those people in the eye and give them a check, paying them back exponentially for the support they've given me. And then most recently, we had a, a VC firm that was interested in investing. And uh, we were a little early for their LPs investment criteria, which is totally understandable. Then COVID hit and we're basically running out of money. This is two months ago. I put, took myself off payroll and uh, we're like literally trying to survive. And luckily we partnered with a, a group that was been amazing for us, Genesis Innovation. And they helped us kind of like put Mr. Potato Head back together and go back out for another raise. And so far it's been amazing. And without them, I, I might be dead. So uh, as long as you keep the right head and stay positive and continue to push forward, things just happen to work out regardless of uh, the economic circumstances or, or what's at hand. I'm, I'm not going to say it happens a thousand percent of the time because I'm sure people have fallen on hard times at no fault of their own. But mm -hmm. uh, in this situation, it just continues to work as long as I shut my mouth and grind. Shut your mouth and grind. <laughs> I got to put that. It's a quote. Um, so, and the reason I asked that question is because, you know, in reading uh, what I quoted earlier on when we started the conversation about what you had written about like a day in the life, right? And, you know, how you were describing like what you're going through. I mean, it's, it's natural for people to be like, do I, re do I really want to continue you know, going through this kind of um, just the anxiety, the, the sleepless nights, the, you know, the constantly fighting for, you know, for inches. Um, so it's, it, it's a natural, um, it's a natural thing to, to kind of think about that. But you just mentioned like something when you were describing how you're getting, you know, you're, you're, you know, if, as long as you have your mind right, I think you said, um, how do you do that? You personally, right? So how, like, do you, you know, what do you do in order to keep your mindset in the right space? Is there anything that you do? I mean, before, before COVID-19 hit, which kind of put us all into a weird quarantine situation, my routine was wake up at 5.15 every morning mm -hmm. and work out with the same group of guys. And, and that sort of, I don't, I don't know how to say it. Just, just having the same routine every day puts you in the right mindset because every morning you, you end up accomplishing something by the time 6am rolls around. Whereas most, most people are still sleeping. So that immediately puts me in the mindset of, Holy crap, look at this. Like I'm already going, I feel great. My head feels great. My body feels great. Uh, I've accomplished something early in the morning and now it's, I can have some alone time to relax and, and grab a coffee or a true energy and talk to some friends and still arrive at the office at 8am be ready and prepared to crush the day. And, and that's to me the biggest reason why I've been able to stay somewhat steady headed uh, is by working out every morning and COVID-19 I've been a little lazy as of late. And uh, quite frankly, it's, it's adjusted my mindset negatively. So I just need to make the conscious effort of going back into that routine. What, what's kind of given me so many wins. So routines huge and working out's huge. And now you've got the gym all to yourself. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you've got no, no people coming in the gym. What, <laughs> what the hell? Um, but 
I'll tell you what, I mean, that, you know, you, on the other hand, I could see, you know, it's kind of romantic. You can romanticize, like, I, you know, I live in a gym, you know, I'm building this business, I wake up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning, I go down, I've got this entire gym, you know, with, I bring my friends over and we all work out together. It's incredible. Um, you'll probably end up owning that gym at some point. I don't think so. The guy who owns it is like one of my original mentors. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of gym is it? Is it a CrossFit gym? Is it a bodybuilding gym? What kind of gym is it? More of a CrossFit gym, but it's got a very unique character to it. It's, uh, it doesn't, it it has all the bells and whistles, but it's not like an Equinox. It it gives you what you need to get what you need done. And it's unbelievable. Is it the gym that's in the, um, the videos? Yep. That's it. I mean, that's a cool looking gym. It's a very cool gym. It's, it's got everything. It's very much like, you, you need, you got everything you could possibly need to get a good workout in. And even better than that is the, the quality of the people that work out in the morning is just a, a good group. What kind of, what kind of training do you do? Do you do CrossFit? Do you do weightlifting, bodybuilding? What, what's your, I do a little bit of a combination of let's say body weight, fitness and CrossFit. I, I avoid, I've had three ankle surgeries, two hip surgeries, wow. two nose surgeries, all from sports related types of activities. So I, I avoid any barbells and, and kind of do the CrossFit vibe without weights. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I should have expected that you're, you know, hockey player, <laughs> you, you're bound to get banged up. Um, and uh, I guess, so you got the routine, super important to keep your mind right. What, so what are the most important qualities or traits that someone must have if they're going to, if they're going to do what you do, right? And, and like you said, when, you know, you said before, um, you know, what's it take to be a success? You said, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not where I want to be yet. You know, so I'll let you know when I get there kind of thing. But um, what are, what are those, those qualities that, someone needs to have in order to do what you're doing? I would say the the biggest thing, and I hate to keep driving on sports analogies, but uh, when I was younger, I used to just work out like three times a day thinking that as long as I worked harder than anyone else, Mm -hmm. I was going to make it. And it was when I was in Sweden that the coach kind of told me, he's like, Jack, we have a game tonight. Like don't work out at 12 o'clock and, and burn yourself out. And I was like, screw you. Like, I'm going to keep, keep doing what I'm doing. I didn't say that to him, but that was like, my mindset is like, I've gotten here by pure effort, but it wasn't until a couple of years later that I realized that what he was giving me was golden feedback. It's, it's not about being the hardest working guy in the room. It's about being the, the guy who works the smartest. And now it's not about Jack going to the office and working from 5 a.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning because it's it's not it's not smart to do that. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to get through your routine. It's being able to stay even-headed. It's about having a task to start the day to achieve and then setting out a schedule that makes sense. And in the first two years, it was meeting with as many people as I possibly could. But when year three came along, we're starting to raise money, you can no longer do that. It's more about, okay, what meetings can I afford to take 
what projects can I afford to take on? What needs to be outsourced? What doesn't need to be outsourced? Do we bring on more payroll? Do we bring on an agency? So it's, it's about finding the right teammates and finding the right schedules. Don't burn time and still continue to work your ass off. So uh, the guy that works the hardest isn't the one who's going to make a billion dollars. It's the guy who works the smartest. Mm. So that's actually, um, you know, you talk about, you know, the guy who makes a billion is the guy that works the smartest. So I'm going to, I'll ask you about that in a moment, but I want to come back to the, um, the videos that you're doing to promote uh, Drink True. So like they're, I mean, they're like, like really good, um, really good commercials, if you will, uh, for, for the brand. Uh, you're the star. Uh, of of these um, of these videos, so clearly, so like on the one hand, you're like this hard nosed competitive business guy who's you know shut shut up and grind, right? But you've also got this incredibly uh, creative side to you. Um, you're acting in these videos, you know, it's they're really funny, um, they're they're really catchy, they're viral. Um, so so there's clearly a creative side to you. Um, do you, do, I mean, do you write these, uh, you know, these videos? Do you, um, do you put it all together or did, have you hired an agency to do that? So it all depends on the budget you have and, and doing the best with that budget. Right. So we didn't have enough money to, to hire an agency to, to think about what commercial or what script to write. Um, so this is a perfect example of, although it looks like Jack McNamara, the lone wolf, it was actually a team behind the scenes willing to help me for free. And uh, there's a, a guy, Christian Harrington, who uh, a teacher at Emerson, who my brother went to school with, who I just reached out and said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of this concept. Can you help me? And he dropped everything, jumped on a phone call with me, explained what kind of works in humor, what doesn't. And we went from there. And then I, the guy who's actually lifting the weights and is the main character in that video is actually yeah. a classmate of mine from high school. And he's in LA pursuing his dream of becoming an actor. And I reached out to him. I said, hey, I have this really cool idea. Would you like to get involved? And sure enough, he, he dropped everything in LA for a day to help me film this, this ad for free. And then he also got his friends to act in it for like 50 bucks. So this whole project could have cost easily over 10 grand. The only thing we really needed to hire out was a, a filmmaker to actually film it. We gave them the script. We did it with him. It ended up probably being around 2,500 bucks for a, a very high quality video. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the other thing about what I, what I said about working smart. As you grow, I can't necessarily spend four weeks working on a project like that if we know there's a lot of risks associated with it in terms of the return on investment. So that's why larger and larger businesses do start outsourcing the agencies because the, the top guys at the helm can't afford to be making those decisions on a daily level, whereas I should be focusing on e-commerce. I should be focusing on fundraising type of thing. So... Uh, we make do with, with what we have and the time we have and try to, to make the best of it. But it's also with the understanding that every concept that we move forward with is a risk because it's an opportunity cost that we could be doing something else with that money, with that time to get us to the point where investors are happy. So uh, they're a blast to shoot. 
Uh, I love going outside of my comfort zone and, and experiencing things that I wouldn't normally experience, even though it provides a lot of stress um, because it's a lot of fun. Like I, I think that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, but yeah, it, again, it was a, a lot of people helping out. I had two of my brothers in that commercial as well. So super bootstrapped. Right. Right. I, I, but it, it, you know, the reason I asked if you hired an agency because it looks that good. Um, so that's, you know, that's amazing. And I think another one of your talents, um, clearly is the ability to bring a lot of people together to, you know, that believe in you and to work with you, uh, and to give you that advice, to give you those solutions, you know, to, to invest their time effort in you. So clearly, you know, again, you're able to, you're able to muster, uh, people's confidence in, in you irrespective of what the, I mean, you know, the company could be, you know, uh, selling paper clips. Um, it, clearly everyone seems to be investing and buying into you. Um, and, and that's, you know, I don't know if that's something that you can really teach. Um, I don't know if that's something that, um, uh, necessarily, uh, most people, I'm not sure they bring that to the table. Um, it's, you know, usually they're selling the business plan, they're selling the, the product, the, you know, the, the unique differentiators and all that. And you've got all that, of course, but people are, people are investing in you. Um, and, and that's clear. I don't, I mean, how, you know, how do you advise someone to, to be able to convince people that, you know, you're, you're, you're their guy that you're, that you're worth investing in. So the, the best story I've heard is, uh, I, I had the wonderful opportunity of, of meeting with Jack Connors, who's a, a legendary entrepreneur in Boston. Okay. Um, I actually don't know how old he is right now, but let's say he's, he's 70 years old. Um, met with him at the, in the Prudential center in Boston. And as soon as I walked through the door, he put his arm around me and I, I felt like we had been friends for 10 years. This is a guy I've seen around and maybe shook his hand once, but, but he had a way and a charisma about him that immediately took down any shields that I could potentially have, uh, any nerves I had just because he was welcoming. So number one, I think people are very supportive of those that smile. Like all you have to do is enter a room with a smile and it's a mirror. People will, will start doing that. So I think attitude is number one. And this guy, Jack Connors, his attitude was unbelievable. Uh, the second thing he taught me was he said when he was younger and he was entering the world of business, uh, he was trying to get meetings with, with let's say, the CEO of, of businesses. And in those days, all of the salesmen would sit in the foyer and, and wait to be called. And every time there would maybe be one or two people called. And, and he remembered that I, I think his, his mom was either a secretary or a teacher. And he remembered looking at the, the gatekeeper every single morning and say, this could be my mom. I'm going to treat her like uh, top of the world and make her have a wonderful day. So he'd walk in and, and just befriend the secretary, not, not because he needed something because he knew that was the right way to act. Guess what? He got the meeting every single time. So I take that same philosophy in terms of just treating everyone, whether it's the guy who takes out the, the trash in the office to, to the CEO of the business, like everyone should be treated the same way. And I, I know that's corny, but I, I, 
I really don't care. Like that's, that's how people win in life. And it just so happens that it, it can be a, a great way to get people on your side. Powerful. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really, really good. Um, because if you know, that's, it's just something you don't think about. You don't contemplate like I've got to get people to invest in me. They don't understand that. It's like, I have an idea. You should be investing in the idea or I have it right, but it's, it's really you. Um, it's always going to come down to you. So that's, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned, um, you know, the, the entrepreneur that becomes a billionaire is the one that works the smartest, not necessarily the hardest. So where do you see yourself? Um, do you see yourself down the road as a billionaire? Do you see yourself like, where do you ultimately end up? Uh, I know you, you know, I know you said, you don't care if you have 5% left of the, the company, as long as everyone succeeds, but what truly, truly, what do you see in your mind when you see, when you project out 10 years from now, where do you envision you being what, you know, what's the plan for drink true? Where would you like to, where does this go? Uh, well, I, I do see 10 years from now. I, I do see true either being acquired because at the end of the day, people invest and, and they want something in return for their capital. And mm -hmm. if I self funded this business selfishly, I'd probably keep it going because it's, I, it's a passion of mine. And, and I think the sky's the limit and why not enjoy going to work every day. But I also understand that because I've taken on investment, they do want an exit. So, uh, within the next 10 years, I would like to make that happen for the investors. And that'll be a very happy day for me. I know most entrepreneurs sell the business and then have regret after. But for me, it would be, it would be beautiful to be able to see all the smiles on people's faces, getting those checks like that. That's the, the vision I see. I don't know what the check's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a hundred million dollar business, a $10 million business or a billion dollar business. But as long as everyone see, sees an increase on their investment and is happy with it, that would make me happy. Uh, in terms of like being a billionaire or a hundred millionaire or being worth a hundred dollars, like uh, I used to always say to my dad, like, I want to get the most points on the team. I, I want to do this and that, but it's so selfish really uh, to, to think in those terms. And I remember telling my head coach in high school that I want to lead the team in points. He was like, that's the wrong goal to have. And that's probably the best thing he ever taught me is like, it's, it's okay to have, goals to, to produce and to perform and, and do all that. But it's, it's really more important to have a team goal that you can get everyone else behind. And mm -hmm. uh, that involves an exit. And the other thing is I, I would like to have a, a family. So in order to be good at that job of being a, a good husband or parent, I, I think it's very difficult to, to, to do the amazing things in business as well. So uh, I don't know where, where that would play in or how that would, play a role, but that's also something I'd be, I'd like to be good at. Yeah, it's that, that's great. That's great. Um, you're a genuine guy, man. You're a genuine guy. It's, um, it's interesting. Uh, you don't see that too often. Has there any been any has, so I don't know if you're a big reader or, or, or not. Um, but I'm curious if there has been, you know, any books that, have made a big impact on you um or if not you know a film uh that's made a big impact on you i would say the the best book that i've ever read hands down 
and enjoyed every second of it is Shoe Dog, uh, about Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Yeah, he, that's okay. Uh, that's interesting. His journey was uh, extremely unique from kind of being an athlete to, to going to Europe to manufacture shoes in Japan and then having issues with that company and, and just dealing with the fights along the way and, and finding a way to survive. Like people just look at Nike now and think probably Michael Jordan, billion dollar brand and all these athletes associated with it. And it, it is unbelievable. But at the end of the day, that was another brand that started from zero and, and found its way to the top. And I think the tough part is when you look at the world of Silicon Valley and tech, you do see unicorns in the matter of three to five years, but uh, the way brands used to be built were over the course of 20 years. And maybe I'm a traditionalist, I don't know, but uh, that, that story is extremely inspiring and, and amazing. So I would recommend that to literally anyone that's interested in business. You, you know, that's, I've been hearing a lot of great things about that book. So yeah, that, that seals it for me. I've got, I've got to get that one. Is there, you know, is there anything you do, um, you know, to inspire yourself? Is it, you know, do you read books? I mean, I don't know if you have any time, who the hell has time to read, you know, read books when you're doing what you're doing, but um, is there anything um, besides working out, right? That, um, that you look to for inspiration when, you know, when things are tough and keeping your mind so right, is there any, you know, is there anything that you, that's a go-to for you to, you know, that inspires you? So for me, I, I used to always watch like hockey highlight videos to amp myself up for a game. And I don't know if it's like the way I'm built, but I, I love watching uh, different biographies on entrepreneurs, maybe not read them, but uh, I have enough time to sit down for 30 minutes at night and, and watch a, a documentary about Richard Branson or, or Mark Cuban. And it's, it's kind of amazing all the interesting things you can find on, on YouTube. So uh, uh, I think it's called the, the brave or something on CNBC on YouTube. I, I really enjoy the brave ones. That's a really good series okay. uh, that I I've seen basically every single episode. And uh, for me, I, I never, I never loved school, but, if I'm going to learn, I, I might as well learn from, from the best and people who have done it before, which is, which is why YouTube's a great friend of mine. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff, Jack. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and kind of sharing, you know, these insights and this advice and your experience. A um, lot of lessons in there from everything that you've shared with us. Uh, where where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more? So you can find us at drinktrue.com. Uh, that's T-R-U, not T-R-U-E. And we're on Instagram, same tag, drinktrue, Twitter. Uh, we're all over the place. But if you want to see the videos, look up drinktrue on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend that, by the way. They're, 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 they're awesome. I hope you make a lot more of them. But uh, again... Jack, thanks so much. It's, it's been great having you on the show. I really enjoyed being a part of this. Thank you so much for having me. 